This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. In this episode, I speak with Sylvester George, a staff engineer on the internal tools team at Slack. Sylvester led Slack's switch from local to remote development environments, which was a major success. We talked through the journey of that project, including how they identified the problem, the solution they created, and how they incrementally rolled it out to engineers across the company. Sylvester, so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I'm super excited to be here. Just a few months ago, you published this post on the Slack engineering blog about uh, how Slack has shifted to remote development environments. And that's really what I want to focus on today. You know, I want to just kind of dive in. In that post, you talk about, you, you mentioned that for years, engineers at Slack isolated and tested their changes by running aspects of the Slack application on their local computers. So I'm curious, what, what did this actually look like for a developer? That's like a really good question. And for most of my part in Slack, I've been work, I've been working with internal tools. So I didn't share the experience that the actual product engineers who like work on web app, which accounts for 60% of changes or uh, engineers work within Slack, what they go through on a day-to-day basis. So when we formed this team, the first thing we did was we, you know, did a lot of user interviews, a lot of surveys, and we realized so much friction existed that did not let engineers do their work smoothly. From what I understood, the, uh, the current scenario was people would have their dependencies running on the Docker containers within their laptop, uh, which includes HHVM, which is a server used for running Hacklang, developed by Facebook. And it would be very resource intensive. And it would like literally make your laptop sound like a power generator. So imagine if you're trying to develop, it would be like really impossible to be on a video call in Zoom or uh, let alone Slack application work on your laptop. So it was really, really getting frustrating. For them, when they're doing the development, they still would want to share their work with their peers for reviews, for feedback and stuff like that. So what would happen is they have the local setup, they would do their development, they're running all these dependencies, and then they would sync their work continuously to a you know development environment, which they could share across uh, Slack to the peer, uh, with the peers. So this also limited, limited them to only being able to work on one change at a time, because you know as you're syncing, you need to be linked to this one environment and stuff like that. It was very, very restrictive. And if some thing internally would break, like let's say a Docker version would be inconsistent or anything as such, something they missed, some mistake they made made in one of the scripts or you know dependency scripts, it would be like very difficult to uh, recover. These were like the big pain points that we learned from many, many such engineers. That's fascinating. I mean, Slack is an application that you know I use every day. I've used every day for the past, I don't know, five, six years, however long Slack's been along. But to think about the process developers have or had to go through. So it sounds like you you had to install all these heavy dependencies on your computer to just run. Were developers running like like basically Slack itself? So they would make a change and then rebuild Slack on their machine, essentially? Yes. Uh, so there are different phases to it. So like I said, uh, Slack is like is a monolith, right? And uh, it's a pretty, uh, pretty complex application, uh, especially the web app. Uh, the web app. 
uh, version of it. So downloading that repo itself takes about 30 minutes. So uh, what people would do is they would clone the application. They would then pull. So to kind of make it a little convenient, what a lot of engineers did in the past was put some scripts together, which would kind of orchestrate this Docker containerization aspect for them. So everybody would run the script. It will bring up uh, these Docker containers and this HHVM server running. And then they would have the IDE, which would use all these uh, features to for them to develop. However, luckily, they didn't have to run the server itself on the local machine. Uh, what would happen is they could sync it to an environment and then uh, run the server there. But the the most of the heavy lifting of developing would still happen on the local machine, which itself was a big pain point. And just to add on, before uh, they moved into the Docker containerization aspect, this used to be done pretty manually, like, like running bare bone HHVM on the local laptops, which was even worse because there were regular updates of HHVM and then folks would be like out of sync and stuff like that. So containerization made it a little better, but the situation was still very brittle uh, when it came to development. It sounds challenging. And I mean, how many engineers were doing this on a daily basis? I mean, you mentioned 60% of the changes at Slack, but like how many engineers was this affecting? This was easily over 400 engineers uh, doing continuously developing in web app. So mostly, uh, no matter which domain or vertical you work on, you end up touching web app one time or the other. So web app is like the source, the primary repository within Slack. And also like, for example, every onboarding exercise when a new engineer joins, they have to do this onboarding exercise, uh, which involves putting a live PR or making a live change on web app. So we made a the remote development environments made a significant uh, change there where you know the, the setup period used to be like 1.5 hours and remote development brought it down to like five minutes so it was a great productivity boost for onboarding engineers to get their stuff in uh as the first change in web app well that's incredible and i'm, I'm gonna we'll dive in more into kind of the before and after and different different measurements around that but Another question I have, and you kind of touched on it already, you, meant, you mentioned kind of containerizing certain things. But, you know, as I understand it through your post, before making the, the real push to switch to remote development environments, there were, you know, a number of these inner incremental improvements you tried to make to local development environments to make things easier. I'm curious, what was sort of the, the highlights or the progression of things you, you tried and what sort of impact did they have? Like I said, Slack has grown significantly in like last five to six years. Uh, so has the repository itself with the new features coming in and stuff like that. So when they were like pretty small, uh, like let's say four years ago, I would say the workflow was you have these dependencies uh, like HHVM that you need to run your code or you know do the development. So what folks would do is just run uh, HHVM on the local machine and have the IDE configured, which is primarily BVS code and make that development. Now, the biggest problem was that was, uh, let's say, homebrew installs breaking HHVM or the inconsistencies where developers would be working on different version of HHVM. So it kind of became a catch-up game every time an, HH, an HHVM update happens. 
and folks wouldn't would see failures because they're on different versions and stuff like that. So there were a lot, lot of complexities involved. But that was the first phase. As things evolved, uh, the next thing a lot of engineers would, who worked on web app put together the scripts uh, which would containerize all these aspects together so that folks would be on the same version of HHVM. They would have this regular build images uploaded with the new versions of HHVM that they are on, and the, the setup scripts would just pull that image and everybody would be on the same version. So it removed a lot of inconsistencies, but again, running stuff on local, it requires a lot of scripting, building images, putting a lot of stuff together to differentiate between running on Mac OS versus Linux. Uh, whereas, uh, so those inconsistencies still existed. So it was a, uh, folks worked really hard to make things better, but um, there were things, you know, uh, things were still brittle and they would break and debugging them, especially on local would be really, really hard. Right. And of course, because it's local, every individual developer could be facing all kinds of individual local issues. And, and I'm sure that was difficult. So. I'm curious then in your article, you say, you know, based on the information gathered from user interviews, engineer feedback, you said there's a clear need to evolve how we write code. And that led to the inception of the remote DevM project. I'm, you kind of touched on this at the beginning, but what was this data? Like, what were you finding in the interviews or surveys or what metrics? Like, what were kind of your North Star metrics that told you we need? to invest in remote development environments? So Slack does this uh, yearly or every six months engineering survey, or maybe I think it's every quarter. So they, they do engineering survey. And for most of those, web app development had, had always been reported as the primary pain point for the engineers. And that's had always been the case for the longest time. And that's one of the things that led us to the inception of infrastructure known as developer workspaces team, where we wanted to focus on those pain points and try to make it better. When we uh, were at a place where we had dedicated folks to kind of look into this problem, the first thing uh, we initiated was, you know, uh, doing user interviews, ranging from senior engineers to principal engineers, uh, front-end engineers, back-end engineers, everyone to get their aspects and how we could resolve those pain points or make it better. And there was like always a word thing called remote development as a concept out there, but we never tried it or nobody tried it or not. Nobody thought it would work for web app or we could do something like that for web app. So we, we started um, kind of putting stuff together and figure out if this would actually solve most of the pain points that are listed by the by the engineers. And that's where we made the comparison and we came to a, a conclusion of this might actually be a good productivity boost for our engineers. So we shared the basic proposal with a lot of engineers who actually work on web app and we got an overwhelming response. People like came out to 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 volunteer to um, you know try the prototype and help us uh, with uh, making it better and stuff like that. So that gave us a boost. Also there's always been a internal channel where people with um, you know working on local development would report the issues. So looking at the traffic there where people would spend so much of time debugging the issues and then other engineers would be helping them out. We saw this like 
so much happening where the resources are wasting the uh, like folks are wasting the time on uh, debugging issues which kind of made made it clear that we need to make this better we need to smoothen this experience so that they can focus on uh, you know working on features working on product working on bugs and stuff like that instead of debugging stuff sounds like it was kind of a set of surveys and kind of follow up interviews on that and from that you looked at kind of the overall frustration level and developers saying this was a top priority as well as getting an understanding of how much time was being maybe wasted by developers needing to debug things. I mean, did you have to like, did you create like a slide deck proposal for this that said, you know, here are the stats? <laughs> like, you know, I'm curious, what was kind of those like headline stats then or that you... We went through uh, the, the proposal phase where we you know, listed the aspect, what the data that we got from the interviews and the surveys in that proposal. And we, you know, kind of had a solution section where we portrayed how these could be resolved. And we shared it across the engineering teams to get their feedback, what they feel, how we can make it better. And that was a really good thing because it went through multiple iteration and we got to know about most of the use cases. So one of the funny things working with internal tools is basically you don't actually develop so much on the product itself. Like it's hard to cover all the edge cases that folks face. So I think uh, the proposal aspect helped us to kind of get more perspective uh, from the wider audience that, you know, to consider the use cases that we, we probably missed. We were able to get that, went through multiple iterations and eventually came with a solution that kind of it didn't solve all, but at least like 80% of the engineers solved their problems. And then we kept the remaining for later as we make progress and you know iterate further there. That's awesome. Well, let's get to the exciting part, <laughs> at least for some listeners, which is like, let's get into the nitty gritty of how you guys created remote development environments. So as I understand it, the solution, the, the developer experience of your solution kicks off with like a simple CLI command, right? You hit like, you know, basically start, create a new remote DevM. So walk us through how this works. We wanted to make it very simple for developers to get started, like especially also considering like folks who are onboarding and new who doesn't know anything about Slack, it could be overwhelming to, you know, install, do setup, and especially in a limited amount of time uh, where, you know, everybody is doing the same thing in parallel. So we wanted to make it simple. And Slack has this uh, bunch of Slack CLI, which have been working for the longest time. And it has been very fruitful. People are very, uh, engineers are very used to using those Slack CLI. So we wanted to keep it as easy as adding a new, you know, utility in the CLI bucket. Now, folks, engineers could just uh, run the Slack remote dev command and pass on the branch they would want to work on. And this would not even require cloning web app repo on your local uh, bearable laptop with basic setups, such as you know all the security setups that you have on Slack laptop, you can go ahead and start working on a remote development. So you'll run your uh, command with the branch that you want to create. So, and if the branch doesn't, does not exist on the remote, it will create one for you. It will then uh, find, uh, an avail uh, find an available environment for you and then check out your branch in that environment once you have a reserved environment reserved environment it runs all the setups that is required for the user to work on environment the setup includes a vs code server setup a github setup and any other local configuration that user needs to 
put on the remote environments, uh, which basically means folks like batch profiles and stuff like that, which makes the remote environments more familiar for the users. They could literally do that as well. Uh, once that is done, when that, the entire setup is done, it just opens up a VS Code IDE instance and connects it connected to the remote environment uh, with all the required uh, VS Code configurations that is needed for web app development. And that's it. Um, you can start making your changes. You have a live server. The same in, uh, uh, environment is used as a live server. So you can see your changes right away on the same machine. That's the basic workflow uh, that uh, people can use now to uh, for remote development. Well, that's incredible. So every new sort of feature branch has its own sort of instance of everything running in the cloud that you're connected to from your local VS Code? Yep. Sounds simple, but I'm sure it's very... Uh, what were like the, the most difficult parts of building this? The infra is the most exciting part of it. How we um, have this infra ready for the users to be available instantly on demand, right? And there was a great job done in the scalability of these environments. And we wanted to keep the time uh, to minimum for them to get these instances available. So for example, behind the scenes, uh, we have this free pool of instances that are always available and up to date with the latest web app uh, repo master so that uh, folks don't have the friction of wait time of pulling the latest code there. Uh, so we use this uh, AWS auto-scaling group and we have this N number of instance always running and being available. So as soon as there is a new request, the user, we reserve the environment for the user. We take that environment out of the ASG pool and that ASG automatically spins up a new environment to maintain the size of the pool again. So this kind of is fascinating to me because this kind of makes sure that we the time it takes for a user to get a new environment is less than two minutes. So imagine you you come in at work, you get yourself a coffee. While you're making yourself a coffee, you can get a new remote environment for yourself by the time you're back. So that's, that's one of the most trickiest part because we didn't want it to be a long process. We wanted it to be as smooth as you know, switching a branch, pulling the latest master on your local and those kind of things. As long as those tasks take, we wanted to keep this comparable to that. And we worked really hard on you know, hitting that time benchmark of you know, keeping it under two minutes for the VS Code setup, for GitHub setup. So we kind of did a lot of parallelization and stuff um, in this whole process when we run the CLI so that it's up faster. Well, that's brilliant. I love that that strategy of kind of keeping the warm instances ready uh, so that they can be spun up on demand. I'm curious, just, you know, the developer in me. So you make a change then in, in VS Code and then to actually see that change, you know, like like validate it in the, the web app. Does it do you run another CLI command to like restart the server, like the applications there? Or does it auto kind of rebuild and restart? How does that work? Very good questions, and there are two phases of it, and they could be split into backend versus frontend aspect. Web app itself, they have dedicated teams, you know, web app infra versus you know frontend teams who manages all those build aspects. So we already have all those existing scripts to run or processes to run, which takes care of this. For example, in backend, uh, there is something called auto load that is built 
on every change. And we already already had those scripts when folks used to develop on local. Uh, so when they used to sync their changes to a you know dev server, at the end it will run that auto load map so that the builds the changes are reflected. So we cannot use the same strategy. We added a you know a watchman trigger on our uh, remote environments where when a change is detected, it builds the auto load again so that those changes are reflected. And as soon as they make any changes, it will show on the server as, as well. Same with the front end. They had their own ready watch uh, script, which would continuously run the builds. And if any changes are made, uh, if any changes are detected, it would you know iterate on those changes, rebuild those. Uh, so they could run the same thing on the remote environments. So when a front end change is made, the buildy watch will continuously uh, iterate and do the builds. Uh, so workflows also one of the good thing. One thing we benefited benefited from the local developer aspect is, and we wanted to do that was make it less and less deviated from the previous workflow. So it's easier for developers to switch to a remote environment, but still have their existing feel to it so that they don't have to uh, remember new commands or think of new commands to run that would that actually i think helped us uh, to remove the friction from switching because you know making developers switch the workflow that they have been working for a couple of years is it, it's a hard thing to do <laughs> so yeah we wanted to make it a less and less painful for them that makes sense and so tell me about adoption i mean i imagine this was such a drastic improvement i mean is it is anyone using the the old workflow or is, did everyone adopt this the new remote ems pretty quickly this is this journey has been very uh, very exciting for us uh, so we released a prototype in august 2021 to kind of put it out there get feedback from the volunteers who agreed to kind of test and stuff like that and we got a really good response from them but we also got a lot of edge cases use cases that we did not uh, consider but that helped us to smoothen the experience before we went for the gen ga release so we took two months to you know make things better uh, fix bugs cover more use cases and within two months we saw 30 percent of our backend engineers had already switched completely to remote development which was awesome. We didn't expect that, but that was pretty awesome. And then we decided that we are good to announce its GA release. And we did that in October 2021. And since then, uh, we did a bunch of surveys and got more feedback to learn how the adoption is going, what are the frictions people are facing. And we got a good feedback from users too on some use cases where you know, people were like say Emacs user uh, were having issues that, you know, they're not used to VS Code, they want to support Emacs, they want to support Vim, and we got those kind of feedbacks too. So it gave us the opportunity to be able to support those as well on remote dev, uh, dev environments. Uh, so we added those capabilities as well. And then by January 2021, we saw 90% of developers had been switched to remote environments. So it's a matter of like from general release happening in October within three months, we saw over 90% of backend engineers completely being switched to remote development, which was great for us. This was like, it blew us away and we did not anticipate that kind of a response, but yeah, it was overwhelming. 
Well, congratulations. That's amazing. And and I must say, when you mentioned that you guys have Vim and Emacs support, I'm pretty impressed by that. That's that's incredible. I'm curious, you know, as a whole, was this harder? Like, were you guys, did this take longer? Was this kind of like over budget against what you estimated as far as, you know, getting this to GA or obviously took an iterative approach, but was it was it more difficult or less difficult or exactly as anticipated to kind of get to GA with this solution? So personally, I think for me, from the perspective of when I you know, got into exploring this project and the prototype version of it, we had good part of the infra already there for us, which we used for just sharing it with peer with the with the live sync and uh, the previous workflows so the infra part was already existing and it was working great so our focus was dedicated to how we bring these two together so that you know the workflow from moving your code from local to the infra and then interacting connecting vs code having all the capabilities in vs code to be able to feel like you're local so the tricky part of that was being able to make most of the developers happy. Uh, so we tried really hard to cover most of the use cases. And I think to a great extent, we did that. But also, we missed m- many of those uh, use cases as well, which we did as part of the uh, the feedback loop and iterative changes. So we got it to, the, to close to that 100% eventually. So I think from the prototype perspective and i really think we did a good job with doing the prototype earlier so that one time because what happens is if it breaks a couple of times or people don't like it a couple of times they kind of uh they are hesitant of giving it to of giving it another shot so the the doing the prototype gave us the opportunity to work on most of the or fix most of the issues before it went on ga and once it went to ga I think the experience was much smoother. People uh, were like much happier, and then the adoption gradually increased after that because we started getting word of mouth from users. Even like today morning, uh, I had this one thread. Uh, an engineer responded to one of the features that we recently added, which basically persists your command history across remote environments, so that when you switch to a new environment it still maintains your command history, which basically you don't lose anything when you switch across different environments. And somebody just appreciated that feature saying, this is amazing. So we've been hearing that, getting those kind of responses and people been been happy about it. So we've been getting a lot of word of mouth, which, been, uh, which really helped us. Curious, when you were starting out before building this solution, did you look at vendor solutions like, for example, GitHub Code Spaces? I'm curious, how did you ultimately decide to build your own? Very good question. So, Code Spaces, and that's actually uh, a very interesting topic because we looked up Code Spaces right when we were working on the prototype. And that's when they also posted a blog when uh, the entire GitHub team itself moved to Code Spaces for their engineers. So one of the limitations and the biggest, the biggest limitation was they did not support GitHub Enterprise, uh, self-hosted GitHub Enterprise, which is what Slack uses. So they had only support for GitHub Cloud. So anyways, we couldn't have used uh, code spaces even if we wanted to. But then also we evaluated the aspect where even if we decided to move to GitHub Cloud, the transition that it would take to being allowed to web app 
run on code spaces servers would be huge. For example, you need to kind of, you know, the security aspects, uh, the transitional, it wouldn't be a project worth a few months. It would take like a little over a year to get it there. Uh, however, since we already had the infra in place for uh, remote development, we thought we could make it there much sooner. And um, since this was a critical pain point and a struggle that every engineer was facing, we wanted to get a solution out sooner. So now, since our remote development environments was only for web app and with the response, we are looking into supporting this for all repos across Slack. We are considering other uh, other alternatives like code spaces and other options out there that could kind of help us do that. Maybe not for web app, but for other small self-serve applications within Slack. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's really helpful for context for you know other organizations at the beginning stages of evaluating this. Well, I'd love to know more about the impact this has had. We talked about adoption and some of the pain points at the beginning, but with you know 60% or more of code changes at Slack affecting and going through your solution now, essentially, I, I imagine the impact has just been huge. So do you have, again, some like stats or data, just kind of the before versus after? I mean, you mentioned one thing, like a new engineer took him one, one and a half hours to get kind of started and now i imagine that's you know within 10 minutes do you have other kind of before and after metrics like that that are compelling yes so one hard thing about uh this is it's really hard to measure these aspects on remote environments because it depends on what usage users do if they did not have any metrics in the local setup they wouldn't have it in the remote but like, for example, uh, when we initially rolled this out, the volunteers who helped us explore uh, the performance, they kind of ran, let's say, X test on the local versus X test on the, on the remote. And we saw them to be much faster on remote. So that's like a huge boost. Then we also, uh, and it, I shared that in my blog too, like there are these front-end builds that we run for uh, front-end development and they turned out to be much faster on remote environments compared to on your local environment. Uh, so th those are a few metrics, uh, but most of the stats are were like feedback-based on how it improved the productivity of the, the developers. And that has been overwhelming, ranging from you know a engineer to senior engineer to even a principal engineer reaching out to us, appreciating the product and uh, getting the feedback on how it has improved their productivity has been uh, really overwhelming. But with stats-wise, the limited measurement that we did with you know different performance variants, we have, we've seen uh, remote development to be uh, faster in those aspects. Were there any sort of secondary benefits of remote, you know, I, I know you were focused on a lot of these pain points, like time spent debugging, time spent spinning up. Have there been secondary advantages you've heard of? I'm just trying to like just the ability to maybe test things end to end easier because you have a more full like environment. I, I'm just curious if there are kind of secondary benefits you've found from remote development in general. Yeah, one of the things that I found a lot was it made context switching uh, much easier for developers, right? So if you're working on a big feature or uh, as a product, you know, it goes through its whole life cycle where people are reviewing, giving their feedback, and they're working on it and stuff like that. 
initially you would always have to you know work on a branch put it out there switch to another branch do the work or there's some feedback switch back to my branch do the whole setup thing run the build again and stuff like that right so in this case engineers wouldn't do that wouldn't have to do that they would just spin up the branch do their uh, stuff keep it as it is and while they are uh, waiting for reviews or feedback they switch another branch and work on their another feature or bug they're working on and if they want to switch back they would just open the another vs code instance and get to it so the context switching kind of reduced a lot and one interesting thing and one thing i learned which we didn't never considered was there's like one engineer posted a feedback that they could work on the laptop with the battery from 2 to 3 hours instead of like an hour before when things were working on the local that was like that took us by surprise and like we didn't even consider that and i was like but that that makes sense if you're not running so many intensive resources on your laptop it's not consuming that much of power so they could freely work more when they are mobile or they are like you know or do not have access to a charging point and stuff like that so those are the few uh, benefits that we discovered that were pretty uh, pretty nice to hear those make a lot of sense and, and that last one's funny I, i was thinking like you know developers could spend more time developing on the beach or something like that but... <laughs> especially with pandemic i think many people did <laughs> exactly well this has been such an insightful conversation i want to kind of conclude with a few questions just sort of advice on companies out there that might be thinking about remote development environments in general so I mean in your view like when does it make sense to you know I think most projects today kind of start off with a local development environment that's kind of the still the default where when does it make sense to maybe switch or should everyone just switch today <laughs> Yeah so it it only depends how fast paced your your organization is right for example slack is a super fast paced organization they have they run a number of deploys on a daily basis so you know there's like more bugs more fixes more features going in if your organization is focused on pushing more changes and being you know really robust this is a really good investment and you can always you know optimize it in future you can make it better and you know leasing those environments for a short period of time and then being able to come back and repick uh, resume them and stuff like that if you want to be cost effective uh, if that's a factor for an organization of course but yeah if you want to measure if you want to increase the productivity this kind of a solution reduces a lot of friction that every engineer goes through and i would say if that's your focus i would highly recommend uh, remote development environments that makes sense and lastly you know what advice would you have for maybe teams out there that are leaning towards kind of building their own uh, remote development environment solution like you have maybe the off the shelf solutions don't quite have the right you know maybe even pricing model maybe build versus buy there doesn't make sense for a cost standpoint or maybe there's just unique requirements or unique infrastructure kind of things going on that that make it easier to do in house so what what advice would you have for those teams i would say like so for us from my experience you know when we started off with remote development it was for web app and we knew like exploring outside options would be kind of complex and will take more time but that doesn't mean they're not good i would highly recommend you know depending on your needs whether you have in or how big your team is for example right for us to be able to support web app it's been been fine but to support all repos across slack 
it's going to be overwhelming and don't think we'll be able to do that easily. So that's why we're considering more um, outside solutions like Code Spaces or Bunny Shell, or we are at a phase where we want to try where it provides the, the workflow, the orchestration and the maintenance for us. We might have still might have might use our own infra, but uh, something that you know we can we don't have to develop or fix ourselves because it will be overwhelming if we maintain more IDEs, if we maintain uh, support more configurations. Uh, so it depends on what state your company is, how many resources you have dedicated towards uh, you know finding a solution. But if you're starting from square one, it's definitely worth exploring existing options out there if they work for you with your requirements. Uh, and if not, then consider you know building something uh, in-house. That makes sense. Well, Sylvester, thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. You got me really excited with a lot of the things you described, including the, the Emacs and Vim support for your, your solution. Thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, appreciate the, the you inviting me to do this talk. This has been really fun. Thank you.